Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, welcome to the last day of May, May 31st. I'm glad you're joining us today on the happy hour. Today, my friend Jamie Nato is on the show. And if you've been a long time listener, I mean a long time listener, you will remember that Jamie was on episode 68. Yes, episode 68. Jamie Nato came on. It was my first conversation with her all the way back in 2016. And it's one of my favorite conversations. In fact, it's one that I remember often. She tells the story of infidelity in her marriage. And we referenced that a tad bit today in the episode. So if you want to get a backstory when you're done with this uh, show, go back and listen to episode 68 and you'll hear, man, the podcast has come a long way. Today, Jamie's on the show and we talk about her new book. In fact, her first book is coming out next week, next uh, week in June. And I'm really excited about her because we chat about this a little bit, that Jamie has been wanting to write a book for years and years and years. And I know that there are those of you out there that are listening that think, I have a story to tell. I have something I want to say. And I hope that that part of our conversation is super encouraging to you. Her book is called This Must Be the Place, Following the Breadcrumbs of Your Past to Discover Your Purpose Today. And we talk about a couple of her breadcrumbs in her past, and she explains about that, about how God used things in her past when she was younger to really help her find purpose and meaning in her current life. And I think that's going to be encouraging to you as well. At the very end of the show, Jamie and I talk about how we both believe it's important for moms to talk to their boys about purity and have the conversations that maybe you think are just for dads and sons, but we just hope we encourage you if you're a mom and listening that you get to have those conversations as well. Friends, if you don't follow Jamie on Instagram, I'm just going to say, what are you waiting for? You're missing out. She's hilarious and wise, all of the things. You can find her there at Jamie Nato. And as usual, anything we mentioned today, we'll put in the show notes. So you'll be able to find all the information there. All right, y'all. Happy last day of May. Come on, June. We're ready for you. Here's my conversation with Jamie Nato. Jamie Nato, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie. It's so good to be here. I'm happy to have you on the happy hour, and I'm even happier to have you here because you have a book coming out next week, I think, and you have been talking about writing a book for as long as I've known you, and I haven't known you that long, but still, I think as long as I've known you, I've heard you talk about this. Is this true that you've been wanting to write a book for years? a testament to our friendship that you had to hear me talk about that over and over and me never produce (laughs) and be like, okay, sure, can't wait to see it, although you never... You never treat me like that, but I always felt sheepish, like, this is the year. I'm going to get motivated this year. Listen, I think that what I have seen as a testimony in your life, and I'm going to ask you the whole story, but what I've seen as a testimony in your life is, like, you didn't want to just write a book for the heck of it. You wanted to write, like, the book you were supposed to write. Would you say that? Yeah. The temptation is you have an online presence or you can write, and and a compelling story. There are compelling stories in my life, my marriage story. And I tried to write that book about my marriage for eight years. I mean, that's the book I told you I was going to write. And yeah, it was just so torturous to recall every detail of that heinous story. I mean, it was redemptive too, but I felt like this is the wrong book, but how can this be the wrong book when everyone's saying you should write this book? 
Okay, so here's my question for you, because a lot of people are listening. They're like, I want to write a book one day. I have a really amazing redemption story, all the things. I have something to say. I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought that story, yes, hard to write because you have to relive it. But also, it's like a really big story. Like, let's write this book and tell everyone how God saved our marriage. Did you struggle with feeling like, okay, I'm supposed to do this because this is like the crazy story. Everyone's going to want this. Yeah, and it everyone does want it. That's what everyone wants me to talk about. And the problem was my life was so much more complicated. I had so many other things happening. And by the time I got around to being really serious about writing that story, it was from a place of healing. You should never write in the middle of your awful situation unless you're journaling, you know. But Mm -hmm. I just felt like in the back of my head, this is not the only story I have to write. And I think I wanted women to see that maybe this thing did happen to you, but that's not the only story that happened to you. That is so good because I think the lie could be like, well, all I have to talk about is that my husband had an affair and God changed both of our hearts. And here we are four kids later, you know, And and then that's it. And so I really just want to say publicly, like, I really respect that decision of yours and the way that you've journeyed through that over almost a decade of of this going on in your life. So kudos to you, my friend. Thank God that I finally, once I got excited about essays, a book of essays, which is what I always said I wanted to write, just because my personality is that I need things to be moving pretty quickly. I need at the time, especially with all these million children that I created, it was hard for me to get through one whole book, but I could pick up an essay from time to time and read that and feel like seen or normal or wow, God did something there. And sometimes all you get, especially in that age is those breadcrumbs where in your head, you think I'm supposed to be reading C.S. Lewis, all of his books, you know, every morning while I do hot yoga. And it just isn't like that. You, you know, you're taking right. morsels like, God, give me the manna while I can stay awake. I love it so much. Okay, this book that comes out June 6th is called This Must Be the Place, Following the Breadcrumbs of Your Past to Discover Your Purpose Today. And I want to ask you about just the whole premise for the book. You said it's essays, which I also, just so you know, I'm a fan of books that are essays. I think essays are really hard to write actually. And so you're actually doing a harder job than writing, you know, 10 chapters of a book. And so it's a lot harder to write that, but you talk about following the breadcrumbs of your past to discover your purpose today. When you talk about breadcrumbs, what do you, what does that mean for you in the context of this book? Okay. I think sometimes you get so far ahead in life and the past is in the past. And now I'm going to look to the future. And the problem with that is that there's so much buried treasure in the past, even if it's painful, we're okay to look at the happy things. But those painful Mm -hmm. things, we want to say, I buried that and I buried it for the Lord. And now I'm gonna move forward Mm -hmm. and pretend like that part of me no longer exists. And I think that is one way to not deal with your past. There are times that you've truly dealt with it and you don't think about it anymore. I think we should from time to time relive and revisit those stories to remember what God has done. And I think the Bible is a great example of that. We have so many stories over and over again, and they are wild. The the stories God chose to put in there are a little rowdy. And 
He says, memorize this and keep this on the top of your tongue and keep this on your heart and, and tell your children these stories. And so mm. I want us to have this big permission slip to say, my life was really, really layered and complicated, especially as a woman. I want you to take up space with your story. I want my Christmas wish is for us to all stop shrinking and trying to fit in, into these ecosystems that expect us to shrink and not tell the truth about ourselves. Even if it's like not the best trait, not the best story that happened to you, but to say, this is what happened to me. And we're going to go on this journey together. And I'm going to say, here is the reframing I'm going to do of that story. And I, mm. that's what we do in this book. We look at all those stories and we say, now what? Now, how do we reframe that? And I think reframing is one of my gifts. I know you're Enneagram 7. We can reframe things really well. But God is the ultimate reframer who tells us that we count it all joy and that we don't grieve as a people without hope. Um, and so he is the great reframer. And I, I think it's just one of my biggest blessings in my life is to say, I have gratitude for that infidelity. And I mean that. Like I have deep gratitude for the bad that happened to me because of God's nearness to me. And like, to me, that's a breadcrumb. Yeah. You know, you talk about reframing and, and you just did that right now. So, but I want to, I want you to clarify that for the listener of a lot of times we can put reframing in a bad light. Like, oh, you're reframing the situation. That's actually not how it was. You need to like go back and check your facts and all this stuff. And that can be a difficult thing to happen when someone's reframing something that you're like, that's not what happened. But you just reframed that infidelity. Like yeah. you just did that for us to hear it. But talk about that from like a healthy perspective. What does it mean when you say you love, you want to reframe things that have happened in your life? Well, it's kind of like if someone was in a car accident and you ran over and you were like, hey, it's not all that bad. You know, like you wouldn't do that in an emergency situation or really recently post grief and things like that, read the room. But I think we have to hold that hope as believers that God will take what was meant for evil and use it for good and for the good of those who love him. That is yeah. actually what he says. So I think it is really trendy right now to in the Christian community to say, don't tell me how to feel and don't tell me that it's going to be okay. And uh, don't reframe this for me. Let me sit in this. And, so, and some of that is good for a time, but there also comes a time when we look up to God and say, and what are you going to do with this? And so I think mm -hmm. I've had some distance from some of these things and I live in a complicated life just like you do too, where I don't have the distance, but I am constantly going to God and saying, and what are you going to do with this? I wait for him in expectation that he will turn it, that he will turn it for good. I remember a couple of, well, over a decade ago, I was in a discipleship class with some friends and we were talking about this kind of, this idea of like God making good out of what feels harmful or hurtful or bad to us. And you're right, we see this all throughout scripture. It, it's in his word, we can trust him for it. Even if, even if we never see it or don't have to figure it out, we can trust that what he says is true. And I remember I was talking to my girlfriends and I said, hey, I'm such an Enneagram six, like you said, the Enneagram, I'm such an Enneagram six. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm a realist and I'm going to say it like it is. And I also, I'm always waiting for the thing to happen to me. That's going to happen to me. Right. Yeah. And so 
ex- I hope this isn't insensitive when I say this, but I told them, I said, hey, listen, like there's, there's like seven of us in this group. The odds of one of us getting cancer are pretty high. And um, I meant that in a somber way, not in a funny way at all. And I said, I just want to let you guys know that if it's me, um, I want you to grieve with me and I want you to mourn with me. And I also want you to give me a couple weeks or I don't know how long I said. And then I also want you to point me back to God and be like, God has not left me or forsaken me and he can do something good with this. And I remember saying that and really meaning it. And I think that's what you're saying. And and I'm not saying that that is easy in the moment or that is like where we all run to or all the things. But I, too, want to be like you of saying I can look at the things that have been really difficult and say, God, I trust you that you're going to do something good with this. And that's kind of what I meant in that moment. It feels very Debbie Downer-ish, but <laughs> you're that I, kind of, I kind of live in that Debbie Downer space. You're that one in the group. No, I my wing is a six, so I'm very paranoid. And I say I'm paranoid but fun, but I am yeah. prepare for the worst on this and always be <laughs> looking around the corner. Is this safe? The older I get, the, uh-huh. the more I come to know God, the more I learn not to fear that turning of the corner, though. I don't know if that's how it is for you. Yeah. The more I think I can have the strength to face some of those sufferings. Yeah, I think for me, it is a, in a faulty way, it'd be like the safety mechanism. Like, I'm not going to let myself get hurt because I'm going to be prepared for everything that could possibly yeah. happen. So you're not going to hurt me because I already know what I'm going to do when you do hurt yeah. me. Like, you know, like, you're, and so some of that is is uh, probably a survival mechanism that probably did me good at some t- point in my life um, that I've had to really give over to God and be like, God, I'm, I want to walk into this relationship, this place, this event, this whatever, not thinking it's going to go poorly or someone's going to turn on me or whatever. And this really trust that I don't have to live my life like that every day. And I've seen so much growth in my life over the last decade in that area. And um, I can giggle about it a little bit. Okay, breadcrumbs. I love this idea. And, and in your book, this must be the place. What I love about it is it really is essays. And then you really do offer the reader some questions to kind of think about that in their own life. And then you you finish each of the essays with what your breadcrumb was. And I want to dive into two particular ones that I just loved reading so much. And so I want you to tell us these stories because you're a phenomenal storyteller. The first one that I want to talk about is you, the breadcrumb of, well, I don't remember what it was called in here, but it was differently abled. And I don't remember what your breadcrumb was. That? Yeah. Where I was talking about Lila, I do have a differently yeah. abled child. But the the thing about it is, you know. Well, this is also where you talk about Hannah and Clay. Yes. yes. I yes. think. Yes. Talk about them because this is so good. Yeah. Cool. So I grew up really poor. We grew up on welfare. We grew up with not a lot of resources, but our childhood was really rich. And I grew up next to a little girl who was my sister and brother who are twins, their age. They, they were born around the same time, except Hannah was severely disabled. And we grew up um, wheeling her to any church service that would promise healing. I mean, we were going to pray this thing away. And but Hannah just continued to be in this wheelchair, um, nonverbal. She could make noises, but, you know, strange noises for a child. Not for us because we knew her so well and she lived there and it was just Hannah, right? And so we'd take her on walks mm-hmm. and we knew what made her happy. But she taught me that you can pray as hard as you want. And sometimes God has a different idea for that child and for you who is all of you who are watching this child. Mm -hmm. And Hannah brought us so much joy. I mean, we 
took Hannah out of her wheelchair and we should not have, but we put her in, we would swim in a horse trough as they do. And we would do these whirlpools where you run really like if, if like 10 kids run uh-huh. fast enough, you can get oh, a yeah. feisty whirlpool. So we thought Hannah is just watching us and Hannah had, it was long. Hannah was tall. So, I mean, she, she had to have been like seven or eight. I mean, she's a big kid at this time, but yeah, stiff. I mean, she's not getting in this water. Okay. But four of us get her in the thing. Okay. While a whirlpool is going and we, I was so anxious when I was reading this part of the book. Right. Really. I was like, please tell me that Hannah is going to make it out of this whirlpool. In hindsight, very stressful. But we put her in there and Hannah cackled and screamed and loved her life. And we got in trouble for that. But, you know, she she loved her life. So I just grew up with a differently able child next door to me. And then Clay was, my when my dad went to law school really late in life, he sat in the front row with a blind man who was also sort of deaf and would shake back and forth like, and um, he had glass eyeballs and which we loved. And he would come to our house all the time and have, have dinner with us. And he was kind of like a rain man. Like you could say, Clay, what it was so handy. We didn't have Google then, but you could say, Clay, what happened on August 13th, 1981. He's like, okay, August 13th, 1981. We were going to like, he'd tell you everything that was happening in the world and space whose birthday it was. And so I just grew up with different people who maybe didn't fit in the norm always around me. And then fast forward, I have a child who is, I find out this, my child is not going to be like everybody else. And I had a mourning period of I wasn't sad she was born. I was sad that I had all, I had all these dreams for her that were probably not going to happen. And mm-hmm. never say never, but I had to mourn those dreams, not her, okay? Mm-hmm. And once I decided, okay, I'm going to trust that God has a purpose and a reason for this and he's going to take care of her and that the same grace that is sufficient for me is sufficient for Lila, if I would really start believing that, that could change everything. And now we see Lila is one of the biggest gifts in our life. She's the most joyful human. She makes us laugh, cackle so hard every day. But the main thing is that she helps me see God. And when I look at Lila and I know that God didn't make an accident and I know he didn't mess up. So now I have to say, what is God like? What is God showing me through Lila's unbridled joy like when penelope her younger sister got a bike for her birthday or christmas or something lila cheered so loud and started crying she was so happy that penelope got a bike it's like Mm -hmm. we should all be so lucky to have a lila in our life so i look back on those things and i say you know i don't think those were coincidences that god gave me the tools Mm. the knowledge the acceptance, the joy of having differently abled people in my life. And now I have a Lila. God, God mm. gave me breadcrumbs all the way. I love that because it makes it where we can all think back through our childhood and think of ways that God prepared us in ways like this. Like even as you're talking, Jamie, I hadn't thought about this memory in so long, but there was a, a girl in my elementary school and, um, Like, I remember in elementary school, maybe three people who weren't white. I lived in a very small town here in Texas. And um, 
she was um, Chinese, and um, I remember she invited me to her birthday party, and she she had on some traditional Chinese um, garments, and I remember feeling so like almost awkward a little bit, but also like honored that I got to be there. But I also remember like, does anyone else get to do this? And look, I never thought about that until you were talking about your experience with Hannah. And I'm just like, man, I want to sit with that and think like, what kind of breadcrumb was that for me in my life? Like, what was God preparing me for by letting me attend this birthday party that was so quote unquote different than all my other friends' birthday parties? Little things like that. They are little things. They are things that we put away and things that we say like, that's not that important. I mean, like that memory, you're like, well, I remember it, but it's not that important. And I say, I don't think so. Because if you remember that from your childhood, there's a lot we don't remember. (laughs) But if you remember that, you have to think, okay, what was God putting a seed in my heart for? Which I do Mm -hmm. think you are just very um, good at seeing those who, you know, are the other in environments and saying, hey, you know, come in here. And I I think you're good at wanting to learn and, you know, wanting to include, I don't know. I don't think it's by accident. I also tell, thank you. I got, um, I got married to Jordan, who was my neighbor friend about 18 times before I was, you know, 12 and they are Asian Pacific Islanders. And who do I marry? I'm like, listen, I exactly. I don't think this is an accident. I kind of, I liked who I liked and (laughs) since the beginning (laughs) i love it so much it's it's really interesting to look at and to think back on our life okay there's one more chapter i want you to talk about and that's the hospitality chapter and one thing that i see you know social media is great because we get to see into people's lives all the things but even though i always say with the caveat that social media is just showing us what we want to see There are some specific things that you can find out about people and kind of see into their world. And one of the things that I really love about you is the hospitality that you encourage people to have um, through your presence online. And it's not a hospitality of like, look at me, I'm awesome. Look at this amazing spread. But instead you're like, hey, it's real easy, guys. Just get some leftovers and have some friends over. Meet in the front yard. Like whenever I think about people that have friends in their neighborhood, I always think about Jamie Nato. I'm like, you guys just have friends all in your neighborhood. And so talk about hospitality and what that means for you and even where that came from in your life. Yeah. So my breadcrumb was that my parents always had people staying in their house. Always. It, would be, it could be a missionary that was coming through a church. It could have been family. It could have been anybody. They always had someone in their home and they would they were spending the night or they were coming for dinner or whatever. And my mom would just roll out the red carpet. She was making rolls and um, brisket and twice baked potatoes. And then when we would always get kicked out of our rooms and my mom would be like, figure it out, guess, go find a sibling to sleep with and <laughs> making sure my mom always put out these baskets for the guests. Like they had snacks in them. Cause heaven forbid, you know, when you're staying at someone's house, you're not going to be like, you guys want to hit some Doritos here at 10 P exactly. <laughs> yep. So she just, showed me the way. I was never taught how to organize a basket. I just was really appalled that when I went and traveled somewhere, even in college, that no one had 85 pillows and a just a small gift basket is all I asked for. It's not too much it's to ask not for. not too much to ask for with all the local snacks. Um, and uh-huh. so, 
you know, it's just kind of, that's my breadcrumb. That's what I saw. And now I emulate that. And the way that we do that is try to welcome everyone in my, I had seven siblings and our house never had to be perfect. And it wasn't, my mother cannot keep up with the house. It was clean. We try to clean the toilets at least before you come over, but things are happening in here. So I tried to show that to my neighbors who they do really value having a real pretty home and they really want it to look good and it needs to look perfect. And then they come over to my house and I'm like, do you want to play hot lava on our laundry that my kids threw around? You just right. step on each item. And my kitchen was never clean. I'm not gross, but I don't want my mess to hinder people from coming into my home. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can offer hospitality if you're like, oh, I don't really want them to come into my home. We offer hospitality in our driveway. So mm -hmm. we play out in our front yard. We are constantly, if the neighbors are driving through, we're like, come back up. You know, we're harassing people. And I'm sure they're like, goodness, can they just leave us alone? But we send texts out at 3 p.m. on Friday and say, freezer Friday, if you want to come over, bring anything from your freezer or leftover. The only rule is you can't. You can't cook anything. And that was the first text that I sent out to my neighbors. And I did that afraid. I did that fearing yeah. rejection. Everyone needs to know. I wasn't just like, they're going to love this. I thought they are going to think maybe this is really stupid. And once I sent it, I would, I would have done anything to take them back, but it already sent to like eight people. So <laughs> I just got very sick. So I'm just getting <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That was the first text you sent to your neighbors about coming to hang out was like freezer Friday. I mean, aside from texts about, you know, is my kid over at your house? We had a text. Yeah. Going, so it wasn't odd that I would be texting them, but there yeah. wasn't a group text yet where, with all of us on it. And I just thought we all hang out and I don't want to at random times and I don't want to keep texting you separately and everyone needs to get to know everyone eventually. So, and our house is kind of right in the You're middle like, of the cul-de-sac. So it just worked out, you know, not on accident. I'm sure God was like, we need some glue here. And so we're going to put the NATOs. <laughs> You're going to put the NATOs here. You're the gatherers. I love it so much. Um, well, I am really proud of you, Jamie. I should say that uh, for this book, this must be the place following the breadcrumbs of your past to discover your purpose today. And I think that a lot of people are really wanted to figure out what does this mean that I that this happened or I went through this or I experienced this. And and you really give people the opportunity to figure that out on their own breadcrumbs. Like, what does it look like and where has God brought you? So I really, really love that. Here's what I want to say to you, Jamie Nato, is that you're one of the funniest people that I know. Okay? It's true. Do you do you accept that? Do you love that? Well, Mark Nato doesn't think I'm one of the funniest people that he knows. But <laughs> I receive that, especially from you. And Listen. When we when we did our Mother's Day toast on Mother's Day this year, my kids all went around and they said like such nice things, like all the things. And at the at the end, I was like, "Hey, so you guys all forgot to say that I'm funny." And they're like, "Because you're not, Mom." But I was like, "I think I'm really funny, you guys. That's all I need to say. Yeah, I think I'm no really funny." One, so no one said that to me on my Mother's Day blessings. They all said I was nice. They liked my shirt. I'm like, "Thank you." It's all very. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I do want to ask you about something you're doing new on Instagram, and I want to know where it came from, and I want to hear all about it. You've got these uh, support hotlines that you got going on, and I literally watch everyone you put up like three times in a row because I just think they're so funny. Tell me where this came from and uh, all the things. I think I just got to be in my bonnet. I was thinking about this book <laughs> that's so like Southern. I was thinking about this book and how I'm encouraging people to just – be themselves and in the most non-patronizing way or the most non-cliche way. I mean, I'm encouraging women to be themselves. And I thought of all, I, I have skits running through my head all the time, but I thought I have one in particular because I'm struggling through, you know, ADHD or I talk about purity culture or whatever. And I thought, what if we just make this funny? Like it can feel overwhelming when you have these hard things that you're dealing with. And what if I just put it in something funny? And so... I just put on some headphones and put a fork in my, or whatever the item is for the day, a soap pump. <laughs> whatever it is. We just do a hotline and just see where it goes. I love it so much. Um, okay, so I want to play one of your hotlines for everybody, so here it is. ADHD hotline, how can I help you? You started a new hobby and then made a business out of it. I know, classic mistake. Happens all the time. It was successful, of course it was. And now you're bored. And you don't want to go to the post office anymore. <laughs> or, yeah, we're not sending an invoice. No. Okay. Just randomly shut it down and act like it never happened. ADHD admin hotline. How can I help you? You went on a lunch bender and ate the same thing for six weeks. Okay. Let me guess you have like three to 17 pounds of lunch meat. I know. Okay. You're going to want to let that sit for a while until it turns a little furry. Uh-huh. And then about two weeks later... You'll get in there. You're going to shame yourself for being a disgusting garbage person. Uh-huh. And then rage clean that fridge. Yes. Yes, you're going to miss two important meetings because you lost track of time. You did the same thing with a hobby. Yes. Okay, and now you have a closet full of knitting supplies you thought you were going to be really coordinated enough to do. Those difficult instructions. That was adorable. And then you got bored. Totally. Okay, yes, you're going to tuck those in the closet and swear that you're going to pick it back up. No, you're never going to pick it back up. This is an affirming space. We don't deal with outside reality. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a hilarious. It's been fun for me. Like I'm having fun because I always thought SNL forgot to call me. And so now <laughs> I'm just going to have to do it myself and make some fun on the Internet for other for other people. Well, you're making a lot of fun on the Internet. I love it so much. Um, OK, let's talk about purity culture real quick. Uh, I didn't even tell you I was going to talk about this. And this really isn't purity culture by any means. But you and I both have boys that are in high school. Um, is is Lane graduating? He is a junior. Okay, so the same age as my boys that are juniors. Yes, yes, yes. So my boys just went to prom. And um, I have very open, candid conversations with them all the time. But I thought about you because I think that you did a post on Instagram recently about things that you said to Lane before a dance and everything. And so I was talking to, to Deacon before you went. And I was telling him all the things like – like, I think I got this from you. I would have never said this. except I think you said this. Like, if her water glass is empty, make sure you fill up her water yes. glass. Like, l- let her let her order, you know, all the things, like all these things. And um, I remember when my boys were younger, I always thought that all of those conversations would come from Aaron, my husband. Yes. And while Aaron does have those conversations, um, I enter into them as well. And I know you do with Lane as well. And so I just want to talk about that for a second. When was it that you found I can have these conversations with my boys as much as Mark can and 
what is your would your encouragement be to other moms who are wondering, can I have these talks about purity with my boys or is that just for my husband? I think it is so important to show that side of God's face because it seems like mm. this is man to man or this is woman to woman or and I don't think it's like that. I don't think God is like that. And so I think there is something beautiful about hearing the counterpart of you say, hey, this is how I want to be treated. And I expect you to treat me like this. And there are real consequences to not treating women with such honor and respect. And I want the best for you. And I, I don't think, I guess it's controversial. I did get a little bit of pushback on it. But for the most part, I think women felt relieved that they can enter into that conversation too. And that we must. I, I think we must, mm -hmm. just as much as the father should tell a daughter, you deserve honor and respect. And you you need to give honor and respect to the person you're going to this dance with. And how what does that look like? Mm -hmm. What was the pushback you got? Well, people think that if you say, if you talk about consent, that you are giving a free pass to just go live oh my a wild sexual life. <laughs> and for that, I say, I dated many Christian boys who were not very respectful. So I think it just needs to be said, let's blanket statement that and be engaged with our children. Even if they come from the faith, it is good for you to just reiterate my expectations and, and, what you're doing is teaching them expectations. It's so good. You talk about consent, and that's a conversation that I don't think I heard at all when I was growing yeah. up at all. And that's the pushback you said. What would you say? What What was the conversation about consent that you had with Lane? I just said, I want you to honor her. I want you to listen for any little no's, any uncomfortableness, any... I just want you to respect, and I want you to communicate. And... That is, my, that is just a simple expectation that if, if you are feeling compromised in any situation, take a step back. And if you think she is, mm. take a step back. And, you know, we go, into, we go into more detail. I mean, that's up to every family of like, mm -hmm. what is consent? I don't think, I don't think families yeah. are having that conversation. You know, and as you were talking, I agree with you 100%. And as you were talking, I was like, a lot of times we just – take the word consent and it means sex yeah. in our course like did you consent to yes. have sex but I think there's a million consents up to that I mean you know what I mean like do I feel like I'm uncomfortable going to this party like do I yes. feel uncomfortable when you hold my hand do I feel uncomfortable when you're sitting this close to me do I feel uncomfortable when you kiss me on my forehead? whatever it might be there's a lot of consents consents that happen in people's lives before they get to the sexual absolutely. one would you agree with that? absolutely and adults need to be practicing consent as in you know, we don't make our kids hug relatives if they don't want to, if they want to high five. It starts young teaching them bodily kind of autonomy. If I'm uncomfortable, I get to say no. But even when I was posting those homecoming pictures, I texted his girlfriend and said, can I put your face on my Instagram? It's consent. And so I want her to know that I respect her and I want my son to know because if he says, I don't want that on there or I want you to take that picture off. He has the autonomy and he gets to tell me that. Yep. Yep. I think if you look at a lot of us who practice this, you will scroll through our Instagram and when our kids are little, you'll see them all over our Instagram. And then as they get older, you're like, what happened to our kids? Does she not love her kids anymore? And really what happens is my kids are like, I don't want to be all over yep. your Instagram. And I'm like, that's great. I love it. Or if they see me taking a video, 
you know, especially the older ones. Can I see that before you post it? And I do. And if they say I don't like it, then I don't get to post it. Yep. Yep. It's so good. It's so good. I think these are conversations that we need to have um, way more than we are having. Okay, Jamie, this book comes out in about a week. What can people do? What can they get if they pre-order it? Cause there's always stuff to get. And, and let me just say this every once in a while, I'll, I'll have this conversation with the listener and talk about pre-orders. Mm. Um, and I just want to say that you might hear podcasters interviewing authors be like, pre-order, pre-order, pre-order. Here's why. If you already love Jamie Nato and you already know that you want to read this book, pre-ordering does a lot to benefit the author. And so what it does is it tells the retailers, hey, people want to read this book. We should order more. Yeah. It helps um, It helps Jamie as she's selling books. And so I always want to say that. Like, it feels weird. Like, go pre-order it. It just does so much help for the author. So if you're already a fan of Jamie Nato, I don't know why you wouldn't pre-order. I honestly don't know what you're doing with your life besides going to Amazon or your local bookstore right now and ordering this book. So if they do that, what can they get? Uh, you will get to be put, I'm doing a four week kind of coaching and a Facebook group, which will be fun. It's way more intimate because I cannot do that on Instagram with a bunch of followers who are like sort of in halfway in. This is more for like, you actually want to be here. So, and then I will get to put in there some of the stories that didn't make it in and just kind of like some freebies like that. And then you'll also get, um, entered to win a little trip a little stay at this bougie hotel and NATO and I are going to take you to lunch and then we're going to go shop at Target and make fun of things together. So it'll be fun. It sounds like a dream. I want to show up to that Target trip. You can actually, no one would say no. (laughs) (laughs) It's Jamie NATO and Jamie Ivy at Target. You guys, come on. How it it could get really crazy. So no, we could do it. We could do it. Um, Jamie, congrats on this book. Thanks for your conversation. Um, Thanks for just being willing to go into hard conversations and difficult conversation and also keeping life really light and um, helping us see that there are breadcrumbs along the way. They're really showing us what God has been doing in our life all along. And so I really thank you for that. Love it. Thank you for having me. Jamie, I did want to ask you this. Uh, what are you reading these days? I am reading, is it news from the world? You are, you are a, like, you read a lot. I haven't been because this month. This month has been book launch, so I really haven't been reading that much, but I am reading News from the World. It's not a typical, or is it News of the World? Not a typical book that I would read, but sometimes my brain needs something different. So it's kind of like a Western. Have you heard of that? No. Is it from the, base? was the movie based off of it? Yes. Okay. I saw the movie a long time ago when it came out. Yeah. I just picked it up. I buy my books at bookstores because when you read this much, you can't. You, yeah, you, you don't get to go to Costco and just spend all your money. And That's I don't right. go to the library, so heaven forbid. I dropped my so books there you in the bathtub, so I can't go to the library. Wait, oh, you dropped them in the bathtub. Yeah, they don't want them back. No, I like want to dog ear those. I want to underline things. I want to drop it in the tub. So I love it. Have you seen the movie News of the World? No. Is it terrible? Okay, will you watch it afterwards? I don't know, maybe. It depends if I really like this book. Is it terrible? No, I don't actually remember it, but I so we were talking today at work about the new Judy Bloom book. Oh yeah, are you gonna see that? Yeah, I do want to see it for sure. But I was remembering that I I'm most certain that I read the book, but I don't really remember it. I was not allowed to read that book, so I want to read it first. Yeah, I I want to read it too. I, 
I think I might. You know what? Yeah. This is just making. I'm going to order it today. I'm going to have Story and I read it, and then we can go see the movie together. I think. How old is Story? She's 15. Yeah. I. The things I couldn't read, and now I have to go back and say, like, oh, that was like a really probably important one that I could have read and known some things. But instead, you just get to be left with all these questions. Would your mom not let you read it because it was kind of worldly or what? Okay. Yes. Yes. And I think she talks about some sensitive subjects briefly, but I think she talks about some sensitive things that, you know, parents at the time were not even willing to have a conversation mm-hmm. about, so they didn't want you reading about yeah. it either. Yeah, I, I think, again, I don't remember it that much, but I do remember that there were some things in it that were like, oh, okay, this is, and in the book, I mean, she's almost 12, so I do feel like, oh, those are hard conversations for an almost 12-year-old, no matter what year that we're in. Yeah, yeah, I okay, well, see we can read it now. Jamie? Thanks so much for coming on The Happy Hour. Thank you for having me. Love you. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey. Produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Edited by Angie Elkins. Show notes by Nikki Ogden. Art by Jen Jet Barrett. Original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.